0: Bruce Nesmith started his career as a programmer and game designer, creating material for Dungeons and Dragons, Marvel Super Heroes products, Gamma World supplements, and board games. He moved on from his career at TSR Inc. to Bethesda Softworks, where he worked on Elder Scrolls and Fallout games, holding the role of lead designer on the Elder Scrolls V, Skyrim. Bruce has since moved on from the gaming world, turning back to writing full-time and joins me today on the Power to Pivot podcast to discuss the Loki Redeem Trilogy, an epic journey of Loki's redemption. Are you ready? It is time to pivot. Welcome to the Power to Pivot podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth Miles, founder of March 4th Media Company, and this is the podcast where we share inspiring stories, resources, tips, and fun ideas to help you pivot to new ideas, new goals, and new dreams for your life. I'm so excited and honored to have you join me on the journey, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Hey guys, thanks so much for joining me today for another episode of the Power to Pivot podcast. I am so excited for today's guest. Um, I'm talking with the author of the Loki Redeemed Trilogy, uh, who also happens to have a pretty amazing career in the gaming world. Please welcome Mr. Bruce Nesmith to the show. How are you, Bruce?
1: I'm doing great.
0: So, I have a lot that I want to talk about, um, but I want to start with the Loki Redeem Trilogy. Uh, Odin's Escape, you have the the Mischief Maker as well, and Ymir's Return, correct? I think, is that in pre-order now?
1: Uh, Mischief Maker is the first book, followed by Odin's Escape, and then uh, Ymir's Return is in pre-order and will be available uh, March 31st of this year. 2023.
2: We are just coming up
0: on that really soon, guys, so make sure you get that pre-order in. Can you tell us about the series and kind of how you got into writing this trilogy?
1: I've always wanted to write novels. It's I'm sure I'm not alone in that. There's thousands of people in the world who have the same dream. Uh, Coming from a video game designer background, uh, it was something that I felt I actually had a chance to do well in and would be able to pursue that. So I decided to take a leap and uh, go ahead and do so. And in terms of the actual books, I've always been fascinated with Norse mythology. I think there's a lot of unique things that uh, are exhibited in Norse mythology that you don't find in a lot of other uh, uh, mythological backgrounds. And... uh, That kind of uh, led me down the path of what can I do that's uh, different and unique and fresh and so that put me into uh, creating the Loki redeemed series.
0: That's great what what can you tell us about what we're going to find that unique spin on the Norse traditions in your books.
1: Well, I knew I needed to do something very different than the actual mythology, and I absolutely wanted to steer clear of the Marvel universe or uh, the movies or the comics. Uh, So I tried to hew closer to a modern interpretation of what those old myths were. Since it's set in modern times, uh, basically it starts out with Loki as a stage magician in the suburbs. what would that mean if you were to say that the Norse myths were real how do you go about doing that and so I started creating what was for me at least a believable world in which both the science and modern things that we accept can live side by side with the fantastical that comes about with the the Norse mythology and the characters from that Uh, and I didn't want to do one of the books where magic is a known thing in the real world, I wanted the real world to be exactly like it is now, and that the magic and the the other places were hidden and secret from uh, the vast majority of people. Mm -hmm. So that kind of led me to creating what I feel is kind of a unique world, uh, the nine realms, uh, based in some sort of vague scientific background for how magic works it's not real science but it pretends to be Mm -hmm. uh and uh what would it mean that loki is still alive and kicking i mean according to the norse mythology uh he died uh slain by heimdall uh during ragnarok so if he lived what would that mean Mm-hmm. So certain Norse figures are are dead, having passed away in uh, Ragnarok or other uh, Norse stories. Others are alive, even though they uh, technically would not have been, uh, such as Thor, uh, from uh, the Norse stories. And what would uh, Loki's problems would be? Well, if he survived Ragnarok, he's probably got all of Asgard pissed off at him.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So <laughs> that's, that's kind of how things start off, is uh, somebody tries to uh, kill him he doesn't know who because he's been hiding but uh, he's got to go figure that out and along the way he ends up having to wrestle with what does it mean to be a god or divine is he truly that is he not Uh, that's kind of his inner struggle is with what is the nature of godhood in particular in the modern world
0: oh nice do you worry at all or as you were going through the process of creating and sort of recreating and redefining what this character looked like did you ever think about or worry about kind of the the marvel fan coming into the this realm and having a certain expectation and was that in the back of your mind at all of how this new interpretation gets framed for that or you know your positioning
1: Only in that I wanted it to be not that. Okay. Um, I think there's more than enough space with virtually any of these uh, mythologies or properties based on real world stories for multiple tales to be told with multiple interpretations. Mm-hmm. Um, Marvel is certainly not the first, second, or third uh, place that has created stories based around the Norse myths. Uh, it's it's been fodder for uh, novels and tales and movies for for quite some time. Uh, So I'm just adding on to that rich tradition. Uh, For those people who love the Marvel Universe, and trust me, I am one of them. uh, This is a different tale. I think it's equally as intriguing and rich and fun as anything you might find in the movies or comics. For those of you who don't know me, I've had two major gaming careers, one writing Dungeons and Dragons materials and another doing video game design. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be the lead designer for Skyrim. Uh, in my in both of these, I learned how to tell compelling tales and how to make them rich in detail. That was something that both of those traditions gave me. The, uh, the D&D games gave me the sense for what a fantastical world will be so
0: as you make this transition from the gaming world into becoming bruce the author can you talk a little bit about how that creative process changed for you if it did at all
1: uh it definitely changed Uh, when you're creating stories or adventures for a DD product or for a video game you are given a lot of materials in advance that you have to adhere to. So, for a DD module, you're told it has to be for characters of this level, it has to be for a group, it'll be set in this particular location or feature this particular villain. Uh, with a video game, it becomes even more constrained. You have the story will take place in this very specific location that's already in the game, will feature these very specific plot points and characters and will probably advance a particular gaming concept that they want to uh, promote right there. But you have total freedom when you're an author, you can decide to make those constraints yourself or not make them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, when writing d and Adventures, I could describe this setting, which is very useful for being a novelist, but the players form their own story. You're just building a tapestry of characters and place and mood that they interact with and they tell the story. The story becomes theirs and they have to have the freedom to tell the way they want to. In a novel, I'm in charge of the protagonist. I'm in charge of the point of view. I tell the story the way I want to. Mm -hmm. And the same is true in a video game, although to a slightly lesser extent, because there's a singular point of view, uh, as a rule, with the games that I did, definitely, uh, that becomes the protagonist, but there still has to be variability and options involved. Uh, The other thing that becomes very critical is your interactions with characters, at least the part that you as the creator write. Tend to be very, very tight, very focused, and very, very short. A villain in a video game might have six lines of dialogue total Mm -hmm. because that's all the time you're going to get with him. You see him at the very end, he gets to have his little cutscene, and then a big fight ensues. Mm -hmm. Uh, You get a little bit more in a DD adventure, but you can't count on that either. The players tend to be very eager to get on with the Uh, defeating of the big bad guy. So you don't get a lot of face time. You get to do that in a novel. You get to choose what characters have, how much impact and how much space and how they interact. So, you know, as an author, it's very freeing. I get to try to tell stories in what were new and unique ways. I have more control over the protagonist than I ever had in my gaming days.
0: Was there ever a point where that freedom became a moment of fear, where where you realize, like, you're not working within someone else's framework? Because I could see it both ways, right? And and I guess we ultimately, we get to decide how we want to look at it. But I could see it like, oh, great, like, I can literally create my own world, however I want this to, to shape up and look. But at the same time, now, you're taking you're giving your your readers this this view into like Bruce's world, and you know, was there ever a point where you went, "Oh my God, what am I doing?" And how did you overcome that?
1: Well, it's always easier to work with constraints than without them because you, as you're pointing out, uh, you can put the burden onto somebody else. Oh, that guy said I can't do this. I have to work within these rails. And your limited set of options means you just have to choose from among them, as opposed to the unlimited choices of creating everything yourself. And I think this is where my experience, long-time experience, uh, came into play. Since I've been doing it for quite some time, it was very easy for me to make my first task to be creating an outline and deciding what my guidelines would be for example, that magic just isn't done on earth for reasons X, Y, and Z. Okay. That's a rail that I put in place to say, this is a limitation I'm going to work with.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, that these, uh, that magic is done in this world by using spirit energy absorbed from the spirits of the dead. And that there's two types looking at the Norse mythology, the Galder and the Seder. Um, that was the other thing that helped a lot was looking at Norse mythology and saying they do do these things. They don't do those things. Mm -hmm. For example, there's no fireballs or things like that in Norse mythology. That's not the kind of magic that the Vikings and the uh, Norse people believed in. They just didn't. Mm -hmm. So that's a constraint that allowed me to say, now I know I have to work within these guidelines and it made the job a little bit easier. My fears tended to be much more, how am I going to stretch this? I'm used to extremely small, tight stories, even the Dungeons and Dragons stories, which tended to be a little longer. The actual story portion was fairly short and tight, and the bulk of it was filled with this big map of places that were filled with things, individual little things to do in them. Mm -hmm. So I had to actually create a full story. That encompassed 100,000 words. And that was new for me. And it did give me some pause a few times.
0: That's a lot of words. That's pretty daunting. That's I, in my first, I remember my first book was, I think I came in at 30,000 words. And when I, after my first draft, I didn't think I could hit 30,000 words. It took a while. Um, yeah. It it takes time. What, what about those moments? Did you ever find times as you're going through the process and obviously you're refining and editing where you found yourself so far off course from what you had initially thought you were gonna, when you when you set that initial framework where you found yourself steering away from that, did you rein it back in? Did that give you more creative freedom? Did you find yourself kind of going in different directions?
1: Um, in the plotter versus pantser, spectrum, I'm definitely more of a plotter. Uh, So I had my my story laid out. Uh, But even when you do that, you have to be willing to change what you wrote when boots are on the ground. If you get into the writing and the thing that you said should happen next just doesn't make sense, you are wise to try and do something about that, rather than just forge ahead and not worry about it. So there were some changes. The biggest problem for me, and actually I ended up setting the first book aside for almost six months as a result, was a gap about three quarter of the way through. I didn't know how to take where the story was and connect it to what I knew I needed to do at the end. Mm -hmm. I'm a big proponent of believing when you're writing a, a novel or actually any story, but it's particular for novels. Uh, you need to know what the end is. You need to know what you're aiming at. How you get there can meander along the way, but you have to have that goal in mind. So I knew how I wanted the story to end. And I'd written three quarters of this book and I didn't know how to, how to fill that gap. Mm-hmm. And it actually, like I said, I ended up setting it aside for about six months before I was able to come back to it and say, okay, let's do this. Um, so that's, you know, it does happen. It does happen to authors. I'm not normally one uh, prone to writer's block. I'm normally able to uh, uh, just crank out the words, but that was a moment where it really hit me hard.
0: What was that moment like for you when you realized you were ready to, to pick the pen back up? Was it, had you been mulling it around for a while? Was there like this defining point where like you got that light bulb, aha,
1: I tend to find that my light bulb aha moments come in moments of quiet when I'm not actually trying really hard. You just kind of let it sit back, let the world wash over you and things start to percolate and that gives you something to grab a hold of to proceed forward. And for that particular moment, I actually had three or four ways that I would, could tie these together, but I didn't like any of them. They felt flat and uninteresting or mechanical to me. Um, And that was the cause of my, I I just can't do this. This is is the wrong way to do it. The reader will feel that. It'll feel mechanical and you don't want that. Um, And very, very slowly, one of those ideas started to mutate in my head as I went about my normal day. Until it kind of slowly ended up in a space where I was more comfortable with it. Um, I do have aha moments. This wasn't one of those cases. This was a a very slow migration into something I could do. I was also fortunate that writing my first book, I was still employed. Um, I didn't uh, leave my job uh, until after that first book was finished and I was ready to do something with it. Uh, so I still had other things to do to keep my, uh, uh, my energy up and my thought processes moving and distract me from that, that problem at <laughs> the time.
0: It takes a, a bit of the pressure off. I'd imagine, you know, you, there's, there could be that temptation to just go, I'm going to go with the option. I, I know this is going to feel forced. It's not going to seem right. And there could be that temptation to just keep going regardless. Um, but having, giving yourself that space to take that step back, distancing yourself from the work a little bit and letting that pressure come off. I'm sure, well, it gives a lot more freedom. I know it did for me. Um, so, and it's, it's always helpful to give yourself that time and, and not rush the, pro- it is a creative process. Um, yeah. So I think it's important for those in the process <laughs> to remember that Um you know, especially when you're thinking about self-publishing versus traditional, like if you're self-publishing the book, you're setting your own deadline there. So you can give yourself a little bit of breathing room when you need it.
1: Well, you have to know yourself as well. You have to understand what is the nature of this block? Because I'm also very much a believer of writing through certain problems, just accept the fact that what you write you may end up throwing the whole thing out and writing something completely different. And that that happened a couple of times uh, in this book too. But if you, you can end up in a space where you're not writing and you don't know how to write and you get stuck there and you can't get out. And that was that was actually probably my biggest fear in that six month time period. And the biggest benefit of having a full-time job is I could make the excuse to myself, well, I'm busy doing these other things.
0: Right, right. <laughs> I have a meeting. <laughs>
1: Yes, exactly. Um, So, But you have to know yourself and what's going to work well. For some people, setting it aside is going to be the best approach. For other people, writing through it is going to be the best approach. And even in both of those cases, it's situational. Uh, There are cases where I wrote through and it was the right thing to do. And this was one of those cases where setting it aside turned out to be the right thing to do. And I, I will candidly admit, I was afraid it was going to kill the book that I would not be able to ever fill that gap and I would never get back to it because I was writing on weekends and evenings at that point you know Mm -hmm. so the incentive to keep going wasn't as strong as it might have been otherwise
0: so I'm curious for you like you've written characters what what makes for that really great let's dive in to this what makes for that great character what makes for that compelling story are there elements that for you have to be there and i guess i'm asking is bruce nesmith the reader but also bruce nesmith the author and the creator
1: i think your characters ideally need to feel like people you might be able to meet and talk to they have to feel real at a certain level which means that they, they can't be one dimensional, the, the heroes can't be you know, Superman, Paladin types. Uh, the villains can't be cardboard villains. Uh, there needs to be a, okay, I get it. I get why this guy is the way he is. Um, I also tend to find, and this is just me personally, <clears throat> my main protagonist is more a reflection of who I am and therefore it tends to be a little more neutral, and the side characters tend to be more uh, extreme. Mm-hmm. They tend to be characters who have uh, um, personalities that stand out more, and the main character tends to be a foil for them. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I actually had to do an entire extra pass on a Mischief Maker to try to pump up Loki's Loki-ness because he ended up being a little too neutral in my opinion. So I had to go back through and say, okay, what is it about Loki? He's a prankster. Uh, everything is an opportunity for a chance to do a little harmless mischief. Okay, let's, let's do some of that. Let's, let's have him revel in things that are, uh, when he sees it happening to other people, let's have him play more practical jokes. So I had to go back and do an extra pass on the character. Mm-hmm. But I like characters who do all the emotions, you know, there's joy, there's sorrow, there's anger, there's frustration, there's hope, and you, you can't be themed in it, you have to watch the character go through all that stuff just like a real person would.
0: I guess that's really where that connection comes from. You know, we can cre- create that emotional connection with our character. Um, I know for me, that's, that's what does it. You know, they, Mm -hmm. I can, I can relate to this. Oh my God, I can see my life in this story, you know, Uh, (laughs) or I wish I didn't see my life in that story. Um, So I I have this question for you. I, your career in gaming and had a lot of technology involved in it. Mm -hmm. And now here we are at a point in time where we have AI. I'm curious what your perspective is with regards to AI and the creative process, and are there limits? Where's that boundary? Like, I'm thinking about, obviously, you, you needed the tech to create, you know, the video games, um, but in terms of, like, writing a novel, you know, is there a place for it? And, and how do we start to define what's okay in terms of AI?
1: This is a very timely question. Uh, just, was it yesterday? Yeah, it was actually yesterday. Uh, I cranked up a uh, pseudo write and played with it a little bit to see what it was and was not capable of. Uh, but let me back up a little ways to an event from a, a number of years ago before I even started to write. Uh, I was invited to be a speaker at a conference in Singapore about for an entire collective of people who are, were actually addressing the problem of AI writing stories. Uh, and I presented to them the uh, Radiant AI system used in uh, Skyrim, uh, which was how we created flexible stories that would adapt to the situation of the player in the game. So sort of the most remedial type of AI you could possibly imagine. And one of the questions they asked me at the very end of that was, did I think it would ever be possible for a computer to write a quality novel? And at the time I said, no, I didn't think so, that I thought stories were something that were uniquely human. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna have to back off of that now. Having played with pseudo-write, I think we're many years away from that, but the stuff they're doing, yeah, it's, it's showing that the possibility does exist. It may, it may be further off in the future than uh, people are thinking right now, but it, it will happen at some point. That's, that's something that could happen. Uh, when I looked at pseudo-right, uh, I gave it uh, the first chapter of my second book, as a background and I defined the characters and I told it okay write me the next few paragraphs and it actually wrote stuff that made sense and could be somebody else's story it wouldn't have been my story I wouldn't have written those and I don't think it was up to the quality that I would write Mm -hmm. but I could but it it, it actually functioned, and that's that's the first step, is that it created a functional story. What most of these, you know, Jasper and Pseudo and the others are promoting right now, is something that's more of a writer's assistant. Mm-hmm. In other words, they're not going to write an entire novel. They're going to give you the next few paragraphs. They're going to give you an idea uh, for how to push past a block you might get. Uh, they're going to take something that's kind of crudely formed in your own head and turn it into something functional. So if you think about it from an assistance point of view, I think that's where the AI is now and where some authors will be able to make a lot of use for it. And I'm thinking of those authors who um, have outrageous, uh, outrageously prolific writing styles to kind of do a novel a month.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And i met way more of those than I thought existed (laughs) when I went to a convention in Vegas uh, last year, the 20 books to 50K. You know, these are people who are pumping stuff out. And for them, the AI assistant will probably allow them to create more faster or more better. Someone like myself who wants to explore, you know, different kinds of ideas and whatnot, The AI is not going to do that for quite some time. Um, So I think it depends a lot on the stories. If you're writing a, uh, you know, some hack and slash story or, you know, lasers and starships or something like that, and it's the story is much more action oriented or is more classical beats, I think you can get a lot more out of it. If you're trying to do something different, I think you're probably going to struggle to use AI.
0: Do you think it? runs the risk of continuously watering down the craft of language and the craft of writing?
1: Um, Yes, but I think that's already in progress. Um, The freedom that uh, independent publishing has given to authors uh, has been a tremendous boon. I've certainly profited from it. Uh, but at the same time, that's opened the floodgates for anyone to write. Mm -hmm. And that in and of itself is watering down the entirety of what's out there as published material. But when you say it that way, it sounds like it's a bad thing. And it doesn't have to be a bad thing, because Mm -hmm. by opening up the floodgates, you're also opening up to people who never would have had a chance to otherwise write And we've seen some amazing stories come out as a result of it. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: But when, and I'm just going to make these numbers up when you used to have 10,000 books published a year, and now there's a million books published a year. Well, you might get 20,000 quality books where you only got 10 last time. You still have 900,000 not quality books out there. Mm -hmm. So you're seeing both things happening at the same time. Um, one of the things that was illuminating for me at uh, 20 books to 50 K is that the most profitable authors do it with quantity uh, until you have a trilogy. It's hard to actually get yourself noticed in the independent press simply because so many people are producing so much content. Mm-hmm. And so many new readers are devouring that content. That's the other thing with all these extra writers. There's more readers than ever, which I would not have anticipated, but it turns out to be true. But you don't stand, nobody, I shouldn't say nobody, a significant population of readers don't want to look at your stuff until you've got at least three books in the series so that are interested in devouring series. And for those people who write them, that's, um, where AI is going to become profitable and it will water down things until it gets better. Just like having all those new authors is is watering down things and the reader has to become more discerning, discriminating.
0: It's interesting and I'm curious and excited and um, a little, reserved I would say <laughs> about how it will continue to evolve. that's like to that's <laughs> that's a good word yes um but it's interesting I mean I think it's it's an important conversation how do we as a society you know continue to oh. accept it into I mean because it's here we we can't stop that train from rolling Pandora's along box <laughs> is open. yeah um but I think I think it's important and then I think about how does that trickle down into the education system i mean we could we could do a whole series of episodes probably just on this um what continue what inspires you to continue with creativity or who um, inspires you
1: oh all the other authors i read i'm a i'm a pretty voracious reader um and when i read something that i say to myself i don't think i could have written this that inspires me. That person wrote a quality story, thought of an absolutely amazing idea that, or beyond my current skill sets, that challenges me to up my game. I want to be in that rank. I want to be the person who other people read their stuff and go, wow, I don't think I could have written that. I don't think I would have come up with that idea. Mm. So that's, that's what inspires me. And there's a number of other, a number of other authors out there like that. Um, but it's probably due to my gaming history, the, all the jobs that I've had in that industry, but my brain just kind of doesn't shut off coming up with cool story ideas. It just, they're just sort of percolate back there and nine out of 10 of them are, are crap or, you know, only worth, you know, five pages of writing, but (laughs) what remains after that stuff gets filtered out, you know, that's interesting stuff and it, it noodles away at me. And, you know, and that's part of what made me decide to leave the one industry and, and become an author is that I, I had these ideas that were in the back of my head that I, I wanted to get out there that I wanted to uh, I wanted to express and write. And that was never going to happen as a video game designer.
0: Yeah. I, I think it's amazing. And it's just a reminder that you can, you can always make that change even while you were in the middle of making the transition, you were still kind of in the job situation, working that nine to five. And, you know, you don't have to make that transition overnight. It can be gradual, but you, you can make that choice for yourself to take a new direction for your life. Are there more things that you have sort of in the back of your mind where you want to take your career next after this? Are you going to continue writing?
1: Uh, this is probably my final career. Uh, I'm fortunate enough to uh, be retired. When I left Bethesda Softworks, it was to retire, so this is sort of my retirement hobby. That gives me a uh, a freedom that other younger authors probably don't have. Uh, if this never becomes profitable for me, I'll be okay. You know, I'm certainly not going to be buying a yacht from it, but. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I will, I will, uh, I will be fine. Uh, other authors, you know, they need to actually make money uh, and make a living off of it, but it, it can be done. Uh, and independent authors are proving every day that they can do that. Mm-hmm. So, but, you know, this is, this is probably my final career. I will uh, continue to be writing and doing that until I decide that, you know, watching TV is more exciting.
0: All right. Well, where can we find you? You know, are you on social media? Um, We'll make sure that all of the links to to connect with you are in the show notes, but how can people connect with you?
1: Uh, The best way to connect with me is on Facebook. I have a Facebook author page. Um, uh, Sadly, I'm not on Instagram or Twitter or TikTok because I'm actually horrible at making consistent posts, but I will answer any post, any question, uh, anybody who messages me, they always get an answer from me. Uh, so feel free to uh, to hit me up there, and uh, you know, if you have questions or you want to talk, I'm there.
0: And where can we find the the Loki Redeem trilogy?
1: Uh, you can find that on Amazon's bookshop, uh, Kindle Unlimited, or Kindle. Uh, all three of them are available, and uh, I hope you enjoy reading them as much as I enjoyed writing them.
0: I'm so excited to see what's next. Honestly, I'm I'm excited for you um, as you dive into the journey of being, welcome to being an indie author. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I do have one last question. Is -hmm. there something, what's like one fact about you that you think people would be most shocked to know about Bruce Nesmith?
1: Ooh, shocked to know. Shocks may be a little bit strong, but one thing you might not expect from me is uh, I like to raise carnivorous plants. I have a little garden of uh, Venus flytraps and pitcher plants and sundews that uh, uh, that I grow.
0: Interesting. How long have you done that? Like
1: uh, about four or five years now. Uh,
0: was something that got you? What got you into to raising them?
1: Well, my wife has always been um, very much into gardening and uh, taking care of the property and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and at one point I was like, you know, some of that looks interesting, but some of it's not so interesting. But what if I did something more exotic? And so I looked into them and it's like, okay, this is this is different. Not everybody does this. What's this all about? How hard is it? What's What's cool about them? And it's a little more difficult than uh, than normal plants, but really not that bad. Mostly it's that you need to use distilled water instead of regular tap water. Uh, and they're, they're cool. They're very different kinds of plants, very different ecologies.
0: Interesting. One,
1: one fun fact, for example, is uh, Venus flytraps are only native to one very small place in the entire world, North and South Carolina. That is the only place in the entire world they're native.
0: I don't, really?
1: seriously it seems Every so year.
0: random but like at the same time not in a, in a very <laughs> interesting way in my head about that no. they're not that hard to
1: grow but that's the only place you can find them naturally
0: i guarantee you i could not grow them <laughs> i'm not i'm not that no, so guys I have a if daughter have, with
1: a black thumb so i i can
2: understand that.
0: i'm <laughs> so bad um but i really appreciate you taking the time to join us today like i mm-hmm. said very excited for the trilogy for the writing career well, thank you um, guys make sure we'll put links to the books in the show notes um please reach out to bruce on facebook if you have questions um and and again just thank you so much we will chat with everybody on the next episode take care
1: thank you thank you for the interview.
0: Thank you so, so much to Bruce Nesmith for joining me on the show today and sharing your career and the Loki Redeem Trilogy with all of us. And thank you so much to all of you for tuning in. Don't forget to check out the show notes where you'll find links to the trilogy and how to stay connected with Bruce over on social media. I'm looking forward to sharing the next episode with you guys. Remember, you are never stuck. You are never lost and you are never, ever alone at any given moment. You can use your power to pivot, make a new choice and start again. I'll talk with you on the next episode. Hey guys, it's Liz here from March 4th Media Company, and the biggest lesson that I have ever learned is that at any given moment, you can always choose again. And trust me, I learned this lesson the hard way, and I'm inviting you in to join me in my book, This Is Where You Pivot, The Shift from Fear to Freedom, as I'm sharing with you how I arrived at this lesson. I'm opening up about my life, overcoming a toxic and abusive marriage, navigating years of career, health, and family issues that kept me feeling so so stuck, lost, and alone, sharing stories through my own trauma that kept me paralyzed in fear for so long. And most importantly, I'm going to show you how I found a way out. You too can find the strength within you to overcome any obstacle in your life. So head on over to amazon.com or find it on ThisIsWhereYouPivot.com today and order your copy of This Is Where You Pivot, The Shift from Fear to Freedom. Remember, you are never stuck, you are never lost, and you are never alone. At any given moment, you can use your power to pivot, make a new choice and start again.